All right, open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. We got a lot to cover today. Last time Scott preached and, and preached perseverance, the week before that, the last time I was here, we covered Ruth chapter 3 verse 1. And by way of review, quickly, what we saw then was there's a lot of rest in Scripture. The first mention of rest is in Genesis chapter 2 where God finished all the work in six days. So there wasn't anything left to do on the seventh. So he rested on the seventh day. Of course, that provides a, a pattern for us. The, the rest we saw in Ruth chapter one, that particular Hebrew word, we looked up and found there were seven different times that word was used in the Old Testament. And, and that sermon was simply us looking at those seven different occurrences and comparing Scripture to Scripture and see what God had for us. And this is what we found with that. We saw the dove in the ark had no rest. So as happy as that dove must have been to get out of that stinking boat and, and, and stretch her wings and fly, after a while, there was no place of rest in the world. Hello, somebody. Okay, so we saw that no rest for the sole of her foot. And our first key point was that restlessness leads to exhaustion, disheartenment, discouragement, and depression. And then we saw that if the nation of Israel, after they were in the promised land, God told them, if you guys don't follow the rules of, 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 of the covenant that's set before you, you're going to get scattered amongst the nations. Now, we already learned from the bird. Like there's no rest out there, but that was kind of reiterated in this. And look at what we find in Deuteronomy uh, 28. Among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. There it is again. You can tie those things together. And what we saw, th th another one. Um, she finds no rest. Judah, that's, a, that's the nation of Israel, finds no rest out amongst the heathen. And our key point number two was there's no, there's no rest in the world. You're not going to find it. It's just going to be restlessness. Finally, we saw, though, God does provide a rest. Although there's no rest in the world, that doesn't mean there's no rest. And, and this was our, our main passage last week. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, talking to Ruth, of course, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? We saw that there is a rest available to God's people. And then finally, our last one, return unto thy rest, O my soul. And, and I guarantee you there's some of us here, and your soul has not been at rest. You've been anxious. You've been discouraged. You've been disheartened. And, and that, what a prayer, what a promise out of Psalm 116, verse 7. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with me. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. And so what we, we, we concluded with last time, we concluded last time that God has provided rest for us and we should seek it until we find it. So, the, so last time I said, my next few sermons are, are going to be a mnemonic here, spelling out rest. Okay, so rest is for, R is for Redeemer. And that's what we're going to be covering this week. I'll, I'll leave the rest like a, 
surprise for you. So, but but we're going to be talking about the redeemer or redemption here this week. And so so look at Ruth chapter three verse one and two. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, "My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee that it may, that it may be well with thee?" And now is Boaz, is not Boaz, of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he went with barley tonight in the, in the, in the threshing floor. So we've, we know about Boaz. We know what's been happening in the story thus far. And the first thing we need to understand about redemption is that the rest, okay, comes from redemption and rest for Boaz and Ruth. That's what Naomi's offering is rest. That starts with Boaz because Boaz was a potential kinsman redeemer. That's our that's what we're talking about today. So redemption is to buy something back. If you redeem something, you're going to buy it back. You're going to restore it. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and erase this over here. So if, let's say something was of great value, an old violin, and this old violin was, was a masterpiece, but it didn't get treated right. It got scratched up. It got banged up. The, the grandkids got a hold of it. And it just ended up in a garage sale until someone who knew what they were doing saw it for what it was, and they bought that thing back. They paid the money, they bought it back, they fixed it up, they restored it unto a valuable thing again. They they redeemed it, okay? So to redeem is to buy something back to restore it. All right, that makes sense, right? Okay, so understanding this in terms of people we have to get a little bit of history okay about how things worked in ancient israel so inheritance and rest those things go together and those things were tied to a family's place in the promised land who knows what the promised land is nick what's the promised land Okay, it's the land that God promised. Pardon? Land of Canaan. Okay, so if we're going to draw the Jordan River and the and the Sea of Galilee and the Red Sea, okay? The promised land then would come down all the way to the Gulf. It would come back up and then the Mediterranean coast and it would kind of come around like this. So this is the Mediterranean Sea out here. This is the uh, Dead Sea. This is the Sea of Galilee, and this is the Promised Land, also called Canaan, right? When did God promise Israel the, this land? Anybody know? To Abraham. Okay. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham just happens to find himself right here in the land where the Canaanites dwell. And God's like, this is the land I'm giving you. I'm going to give this land. I'm going to promise this land to you. Okay, so the promised land also, it was called Canaan. 
Now, that promise, Abraham didn't receive that promise. That promise was a long time coming. Okay, but what I want to show you now is that the promised land, I don't know that it's truly synonymous, but you can make a case for it. They definitely are associated. The promised land and rest go together. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, again, this is Deuteronomy. This is the people are getting ready to cross over, okay? The people are getting ready to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. And God's giving them the law a second time because the first time they didn't listen. They didn't believe him. They didn't do it. So now in Deuteronomy, God's like, okay, are you guys ready to listen? Okay, you know what I'm talking about because you've been there in your life. It's like, I wasn't ready to listen, but now I am. Just like, yes, Lord. Like, okay. You shall not do after the things that we do here this day, every man, whatsoever is right in his own eyes. We're not going to, it's not going to be like that when you cross the Jordan. For ye are not yet, for ye are not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God giveth you. You've not entered into rest yet. You've not entered into the inheritance yet. You're still on the other side of the Jordan. But when you go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit, and when he giveth you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety. So, so now, we I don't want to take the time, but we could also look at Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. This is the first time when they didn't cross the Jordan. They didn't believe God and they were scared of the giants and everything. Okay. This is talking about that time when they wouldn't believe God. They wouldn't cross into the promised land. The testimony is they shall not enter into my rest. Again, this is quoting Psalm 95. Harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Now, they had to be 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because I swear in my wrath, they should not enter into my rest. God promised them they wouldn't do it. Okay? Now, both of these verses in Hebrews chapter 3 and in Psalms 95 are referring to what happened in Numbers verse 14. Okay, you guys shall not see the land which I swear to their fathers. Numbers 14, verse 30. Doubtless you shall not come into the, it doesn't actually say come into the rest. Both Psalm 95 and Hebrews chapter 3 are re re referencing this. But it doesn't say you shall not enter into my rest. They said you shall not enter into my land because the land and the rest being in the place that god promised them was the place of rest being anywhere else like it's a big globe anywhere else for the nation of israel is not the place of rest so i just wanted to point out this association that the promised land is the place of rest for the people and here's here's why joshua chapter 11 verse 23 so joshua Okay, so they've crossed over. Woo! They're running out, all the other people. They're taking possession of the land that God gave them in faith, finally. Okay, so Joshua took the whole land, 
according to all that the Lord said unto Moses, and Joshua gave it for what? This is what they inherited. Now, they didn't earn it. I mean, they did have to go fight those battles, but this is something that God gave them. They divided it up by their tribes and the land rested for war. So there's 12 tribes. And what you would find is if you, you can go and you can see like which tribe got which piece of land. So Judah, Judah got like a whole, they got the biggest piece. Okay. Now, Simeon was actually landlocked inside Judah. Simeon's like down here. But just for what we want to look at today, Judah's right here. Now, guess what town is right here? Bethlehem. That's Bethlehem right there. This is the tribe of Judah. So the way it would have worked is, okay, let's say we're, we're all the tribe of Judah and we're different families within the tribe of Judah. We would count how many people are in your family and then give you a certain chunk of land based on how big your family is. The bigger the family, the more land you got. And that's why Judah had such a big piece of property because they were the biggest tribe. Manasseh had a huge chunk, but half of it was over here. And that, that part didn't go so well. But the promised land, so 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 you would get a piece of land. So you'd be like, okay, here, like it's like a big chunk of land because it's a big land and not many people at the time. There's a lot of people, but but also a lot of land. So you you would have thousands of acres or something. Okay, here's your acreage, ready, go. And it was your job to work that land. So you and your your sons, men, would be out there working in the field, getting rid of the rocks, planting the crops, you know, husbanding the, the animals and all that kind of stuff. That land would then get passed down generationally and it would stay in the family that God gave it to. So it's not like here where I can just sell my house and move to another house. God says in Leviticus, no, no, no. That's my land. It's holy. It stays within the families. In fact, every 50th year, there was a what? A jubilee. So if you did have to sell some of your land, it goes back to your family at jubilee. As long as you have sons to work that land, it's your responsibility to work that land. That's why having sons was so important because you, let's say, let's just say Boaz had, had this chunk of land right here. Okay. And it was his job to work that land. Okay, and he, he and his sons would work that land. And eventually you, your family grows and you like you can work it all. Okay. Now, what if you don't have any sons? You can't pass that down because it gets passed down through the sons. You're going to lose that land. Okay, it's going to go to your brother who's got like seven kids right like seven sons so having sons to work that land and to pass that down through inheritance was really really important because the land was given to a certain family and the bloodline of that family and that land went together okay didn't get handed off it, it stayed together and so the problem with ruth 
Okay, and Naomi is that Ma Malon and, and um, Kilion, they died. Elimelech died. There's no more sons. There's no one else to go back and say, hey, that's my land. See, Ruth couldn't. She was a Moabite. Naomi, she didn't have any money, and she was a woman. So she can't. They sold everything, which would really be like leasing it because it's supposed to go back during Jubilee. But like that guy down at the pawn shop, he's got the title. Like She can't just go back and say, that's my land. Okay, so they're destitute. And I think about this, it'd be like a, a, a country song in the nation of Israel. Because you'd look at that land that she used to, that was a Limelech's land. That was her house. And like the country song would be like, Someone else is living my life. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. It was like, I I just have the theme. I don't actually have like a song. like You know? But that's exactly what she would have been thinking. Like she would have looked over at that land where she used to live before they left, went to Moab in a time of famine, and now they're destitute. So, so the problem is now you got to become a servant to someone else. Or you could become like a beggar. Uh, Ruth has been glean, gleaning dropped grain from someone else's fields. So that's better than a beggar, but it's kind of, uh, you're just gleaning. You're just trying to get enough food to survive. And that's your choice if you've lost your inheritance. All right. Ruth and Naomi were without an inheritance. And so this is where Boaz comes in because... When a family lost their inheritance, they, they were heirs to this land, but they lost that. So now they're not. There's no sons. They're in financial struggle. <clears throat> God made a way for redemption. God made a way to buy back and restore that family's ownership of that land through what's called the Leveret marriage. So the family bloodline could be restored. They could be reconnected to their land. And that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 25. So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 25 and look at verses 5 through 10. If brethren dwell together, that means they, they're living nearby, which you would, right? Because you, you're inherited through the family. And one of them die and have no child. The wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead and his name be not put out of Israel. Now we understand this thing. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of, of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her. Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, so shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. Okay, so 
let's say that that Jack and John are brothers and they inherited land next to each other. And Jack marries Diane. We got Jack and Diane. Little ditty about Jack and Diane. Okay. They live next door to John. Okay. Now Jack accidentally he he dies. Okay. It was very sad. And they don't have any children. Now, John can take Diane as a wife, okay, like a second wife or something, I don't know. And then they can have a son. So John and Diane now have a son. That firstborn son, what's that boy's last name? Is it Jackson or is it Johnson? It's Jackson. And that piece of property that was Jack's now goes back and Jackson and eventually Johnson are going to inherit these lands and those family lines are continued. And what we see in this passage of Deuteronomy chapter 25 is, is this the, the redeemer, the one who can buy back the loss, has to be a, a, a relative. Now, we, we the the one one term the Bible uses is a kinsman, someone who's yeah, okay. They have to be willing. Like the guy can say, "No, I would rather have reproach and shame for the re generationally through the entire history of my family than marry that woman." He can say that. Like I never liked my brother. I mean, I love him. I don't love him that much. I mean, I'm not marrying Diane. I'm nothing. Like, so he had to be willing and then he had to be able. Okay, because a lot of times this wasn't just by the time that family doesn't have any sons left, they haven't been able to work that land like they should have for a long time. And a lot of times that land has been kind of leased off. So money changes hands when this happens. So the Redeemer has to be a, a near kinsman. He has to be willing and he has to be able to do that. Now, this principle this was a yeah we're gonna run out of time so this was a principle before it came a law in genesis chapter 38 which is one of the strangest chapters in your whole bible judah oh yeah this judah the patriarch of the tribe of judah he had um he had some sons okay and his oldest son married a woman named tamar yeah okay but this oldest son was evil and god slew him okay then the next son right the right ur's brother the next guy Judah's like, you need to go in unto Tamar and have a son that will have your brother's name. So that was telling him to do this so that his name won't be lost. And the guy didn't do it. I mean, he went in unto Tamar, but then he he spilled a seed on the ground instead of impregnating her. And that made God mad and God killed him. There's only one son left. no judah did want his name carried on okay now there's only one son left and he's a, he's young 
So Judah says, listen, Tamar, just wait till my youngest son gets older, but you, you need to go back. Like, I think Judah was thinking this woman keeps, she's a death sentence. Every time one of my sons gets around this woman, he dies. So he sends her off back to her house. Well, he never intended to let Tamar have her third, his third son as a husband. So Tamar knew that she disguises herself as a prostitute and she goes and sits by the wayside. Judah's walking by and he's like, hey, now she's veiled. Prostitutes were veiled. He couldn't recognize her. He goes in under her and impregnates her. Okay. Late, didn't know who she is. Later finds out that, that Tamar's pregnant. He's like, kill her. She's a harlot. She, the, the law says to kill her. And, he, and she's like, yeah, the guy who impregnated me, here's his bracelet. Here's his staff. Do you know who these belong to? And Judah's like, uh-oh. They were his. So she has two sons, and, and Perez is this oldest son. Okay, this is all in Genesis 38. It's really strange. But the interesting thing is that it's the family of Judah. It has to do with the lover at marriage. It has to do with the seed that's going to inherit the land because the land and they go together. And if you look at the end of Ruth, in fact, just flip there now, Ruth chapter 4. Four. Okay. Verse 12, let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar built unto Judah. Bear unto Judah. Wow. Okay. Interesting connection between Genesis 38 and the book of Ruth. Maybe we'll have some time to... Um, to figure out what's going on there later. I'll just tell you that Pharaoh was considered a bastard and, and a bastard could not worship publicly unto 10 generations. And if you count 10 generations from Pharaoh, guess who you get? David, king of Israel. How cool is that? So the 10th generation, God was laying this whole thing out. In fact, okay, we'll, we'll, let me finish up here. Okay. All right, so back to Boaz. What about Boaz? Look at Ruth chapter 3 again. Verses 12. Okay, so Naomi says, shall I not find rest from you? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get, you know, put on your dancing dress. Okay, get yourself all cleaned up. Get dressed. Go down after Boaz is laid down okay, after the work is done he's eaten and drinking drank lay down and uncover his feet and lay down at his feet and then just do whatever he tells you to do okay that's what naomi's instructions are so so ruth goes down we pick it up in, in verse 12 um i'm sorry verse 8 and it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself and behold a woman lay at his feet that's interesting, isn't it? Guy wakes up and there's a bride. That sounds a little bit like Adam, doesn't it? And he said, who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Let me under the covers. I, I could be your wife. And he said, blessed be thou the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shown more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou hast followed not young men, whether rich or poor. 
And now, daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for, the, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman, the only virtuous woman in Scripture, by the way. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Okay, so was Boaz a near, a near kinsman? Okay. Was he willing? Was he able? Yeah. Now, was he the nearest kinsman? No, he wasn't. Let's read on. We're, we're halfway through verse 13. 12. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit, there is a kinsman nearer than I. We get drama and tension entering into the story of Ruth and Boaz. They both want this to happen, but there's actually someone who's a nearer kinsman. Tarry this night. Just wait. Just wait. And it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. So he's like, we, we need to put the brakes on this. We need to wait until we see if this other guy wants to do it. So Boaz, he was, I guess, uh, okay, so is he the nearest kinsman? No. Is he able? Yes. He was a man of mighty wealth. We know that. Is he willing? Yes. The book of Ruth is a love story. Okay, because this willingness included, bring, like, she's a Gentile. She's a Moabitess. It's one thing for John to take Diane, because Jack and Diane made, made sense, because she's a Jewess, and, and it's it all fits. But to bring in a Gentile is something a little bit different. But, because, but, see, if, if John has to spend a bunch of money to buy Jack's land back, well, that's one thing. Like, that's his brother. He's just, it's a little different with Boaz. Is he willing to do this? Now, he is. The other guy wasn't, actually. The nearer kinsman wasn't actually willing because of Ruth, but, but Boaz is. Okay, so Boaz actually brings the Gentiles into the bloodline of David. How about that? Okay, now there was some others, but this is like the clearest bringing in the, the Gentile bloodline into the lineage of King David. Now, is that a big deal? Okay. Now, who else is in the lineage of David eventually? The Lord Jesus Christ. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Okay, were we there? Okay. Huh? Okay. Jesus represented all humanity. He didn't just represent Israel because the Gentiles were there. Okay. The blood that was shed wasn't just Jewish blood. It was Gentile blood. In fact, in fact, Boaz is the 10th man of Abraham. Okay, 10th 
from Abraham. Tenth generation. Okay. So Boaz, who brought in the Gentiles, was the tenth man from Abraham. Abraham's the guy that brought in the Jews. He defined who the Jews are. Oh, by the way, Abraham was the tenth man from Noah. Abraham is the tenth from Noah. Noah was the one who redeemed all of humanity. Oh, by the way, Noah's the tenth man from Adam, who, of course, is the original human. So we see every ten generations, God's doing this work through a particular person to bring about something which is going to result in rest and redemption. Redemption from what? From that which was lost. Okay, so here's our small group discussion. We know that we have a Redeemer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Okay, we'll just start in verse 4. For when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hang on. An heir who gets a portion of the promised land has been redeemed. It doesn't have to be a servant in someone else's household anymore. They can become a son again. Are you guys seeing this picture? Like, I hope you never read Galatians 4 the same again, because we see this picture of what God is doing through redemption in the book of Ruth, and it goes all the way back to Genesis 38. How cool is God's word when we study it? If you just read it, like you just miss all this stuff. But if you'll study it, comparing scripture to scripture, we get to see all these things. So your small group discussion is this. What is your inheritance that you are restored unto when you were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? So we've got about 10 minutes in our small groups. See if you can figure that out, and then we'll all come back up in 10 minutes, and we'll see what, what answers you found.